Good evening, dear listeners, and welcome to another edition of Once and Future Grinnell. My name is Ann Harris, and I have the honor of serving as Grinnell College's 14th president. And I'm here um, this evening with a wonderful, wonderful special guest, Dean Terry Mason, who will join us in about 10 or 15 minutes um, as I conclude the introductory part of the program, in which we kind of lay out why we're here and what we're here to discuss and learn from each other um, in this hour. As ever, I welcome your comments at president at grinnell.edu and would look forward to reading them, to considering them as we continue in this wonderful planning time that we have been able to carve out through these radio shows um, to really think about what we mean by strategic planning, to think about what we mean in these five strategic principles and to get ready for the work ahead in the fall when we will move these principles and ideas into initiatives and actions. And so I've had such a joy. Um, this is, I believe, our seventh episode, which just seems surreal to me, but it happens quickly. Time flies when you're doing strategic planning. Um, but this is our seventh episode, and we are now embarking on our fourth strategic principle. We've had the pleasure of discussing community, in two sessions, of discussing educational excellence and continuity in two sessions, and of discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion in two sessions. And we're now about to move into the first of two sessions on health and well being. And what I always like to do in this introductory period is to really lay the scene and, and kind of um, introduce it with a with a special attention to the strategic principle that we're discussing. And so the way that I do that um, is, of course, to to spend some time thinking about the title of the pod, of the podcast of the radio show, and then to spend some time thinking about our particular model of strategic planning, and then to tie it back into the strategic principle. So our title in being once and future Grinnell is an ability to look backwards and forwards once and future. It is a, a an homage and honor to this pretty wonderful book written in the 1950s by T.M. White um, entitled The Once and Future King, and it itself, which is itself based on a medieval, um, oh, I guess I'd call it a medieval poem dedicated to the life of King Arthur. So the once and future king is the early years of King Arthur when he's still a young orphan, unrecognized by the world, um, and right at the cusp of his coming into selfhood through his tutelage under the wizard Merlin and the incredible feat of pulling a sword from a stone, a sword that had been stuck in a stone for millennia, um, and a full education that he enjoys, like truly enjoys and truly um, comes into being and comes into the light through uh, with the wizard Merlin. I always say every single week that the idea of a young King Arthur being educated by a wizard is a lovely way to think about um, the wizardry of our faculty and staff here at Grinnell and all the things that we learn actually from each other. But here on this particular day, as we're thinking about the once and future king, as we think about once and future Grinnell, um, I do wanna pause on this idea of the young King Arthur as an orphan, um, as uh, left bereft and alone in the world, and to pause a little bit on the connection between well-being and education, to pause a little bit on the connection between health and education. Um, this is really, a very powerful connection, especially in the study of public health, which continues to reveal disparities between, um, in the United States in any case, between white constituents of our democracy and um, black and Latinx um, and other underrepresented transgender, um, other underrepresented um, members of American democracy and here underrepresented in considerations of health and well-being. And so as I think about this young, well, boy in this case, um, in, the, in the book, um, and actually some of you may know the film as well. It was called The Sword in the Stone. It was a Disney film, uh, very popular. I think it was from the 70s. But there's a good bit of time about how hungry he is, about how lonely he is. Um, and then this companionship 
of um, the wizard, and it turns out it's an owl. Um, Archimedes, I believe, is the owl who befriends him. And I, I think a great deal about the connection between health, well-being, and education. Now, in my discussion with um, Dean Mason, we will be talking a good deal about health and well-being in the institution of Grinnell College, but I'm really keen for us in this introduction to think about the connections between health, well-being, and education. How education itself is a source of well-being. How learning um, can be a source of well-being, both in its practical information, but also in its experience. Um, this is my opportunity to talk about the joy of learning. This is not a strategic initiative or a project or anything like that, but that's the luxury of the introduction um, is to kind of lay out the, the big ideas. And so in thinking about the joy of learning, that moment of, you, well, the wonderful moment actually was by Archimedes, right? Eureka, um, that moment of uh, realizing that one knows something. That's a very, very powerful moment um, to realize knowledge and to walk, as happens so often at Grinnell, out of a classroom, knowing either of the existence of something or having experienced knowledge that wasn't there before. So again, in this introduction, playing out the connection between health and well-being and education, health and well-being and learning itself, what it means to learn itself um, in, our, in our setting. And indeed, indeed, our particular model of higher education, the small liberal arts college in a rural setting, was predicated on a sense of well-being. The idea was to be far away from major urban centers in the 19th century, which were highly industrial, many of them, to be away from those urban centers and to be in, in these idyllic states um, that were beautiful, that led to whatever the 19th century conception of moral well-being was, um, and that would really clear the way for education, would clear the way for um, good living and knowledge and learning. And of course, we, we think a good deal about, there's so many ways to think about health and well-being. This is the part that really intrigues me um, and that we'll be engaging with this hour. Um, we think a good deal about what that means now on college campuses. I guess I would, I would put in things like um, drinking culture of college campuses, or I would also uh, have us consider things like the racial stress of um, being a student of color in a predominantly white institution. I would also think of the joy, as we knew this year, as we learned this year, of living in community. Um, we know it was joy because so many students missed it. Uh, we think of the the joy of, of students of, of diverse identities living together in this environment. I say this as often as I can. There are currently 62 different languages spoken at Grinnell College um, and the joy of that particular model um, that also exists. So what I find interesting about health and well-being is that it's, it's a state of flux. It is not a, a set state at all times. Um, in fact, there are, as, as to put it more colloquially, there are good days and there are bad days. So as we enter into this um, conversation, this, this much sought after conversation about health and well-being, I also want to say that, you know, we try in our strategic planning to, to work along a trajectory of three important points. One is shared information, another is shared understanding, and the third will be shared ambition. And with health and well-being, there's a lot of information that we need to actually create even before we share it, because it's not necessarily something that is studied or tracked um, the way that, for example, um, I would say diversity, equity, and inclusion is starting to have some really good data, or the way that educational excellence, think of rankings, you know, is starting to have some really good data. There are, at different colleges, indexes of belonging which I would argue is a very big part of health and well-being. So I think it's the University of Minnesota at St. Cloud, I think I've got that right, um, has an, a belonging index that they run. This is in Nathan Graw's new book, um, Agile College, that it's mentioned. And it's really interesting to think of trying to do some sustained longitudinal study of elements of health and belonging, sorry, elements of health and well-being, like belonging. Um, 
I, you're hearing me not mention one word, which is happiness, you know, <laughs> but, and I know, and I'm the mother of a college student, you know, you want your child to be happy in college. Now, all the elements that go into that belonging, health, well-being, those are probably the things that we can track better um, than happiness. But we also have a really good um, study that we do at the college called the Thriving Quotient. So thriving is another word that we can use to understand um, health and well-being. So I wanted to pause on this a little bit because when we talk about shared information, we need to build that information maybe more on this strategic principle than on any other. Um, and also, I'd like to say what it means for students, what it means for faculty, what it means for staff, for all the constituents of the college who are, who are right here in it. Um, and then we can build to that understanding and to that ambition. I also want to remind us of one of my um, one of the ways that I return to over and over again about how we can think about our relationship, and I use it the broadest hour that I can imagine to the college. I've said this in a couple of other introductions, but I, I want to say it again here under this new framework of health and well-being, which is I've said many times that we are both the constituents of the college and we are the caretakers of the college. We both receive benefit from the college, and we provide benefit to the college. Um, receive benefit, our, we receive education, we receive development, we receive employment, we receive benefits. Benefits are an important part of health and well-being. And of course, we benefit the institution. We, in our presence, our embodied experience, our knowledge, our production of knowledge, we benefit the, the, the reputation, we benefit um, the, stat, the stature, the leadership. We are the institution, right, in other words. So we are both constituents and caretakers. What does that mean for health and well-being? How are we, and this is a loaded question, how are we the constituents of each other's health and well-being? How do we contribute to the health and well-being of the institution? How do we, how are we constituents of it? How do we, how do we mm, experience health and well-being at the college? And how do we contribute to health and well-being at the college? Um, you, you've heard maybe of, of terms like toxic work environment, hostile work environment. Well, obviously intervening in those situations is a very solid way of contributing to the health and well-being. But what is what is the opposite of a toxic environment, of a hostile environment? It's a thriving environment. Um, it's a productive environment. We need to define these terms. We need to come up with, with we need to understand what we mean uh, when we talk about um, health and well-being. So that's a really interesting aspect of the conversation that's coming up. So I have just a couple of more minutes here of introduction. Um, and I really wanted to um, uh, finish up, as I, as I always do, um, to by talking about the kind of um, the kind of strategic planning that we're doing. And so for us, that means the strategic planning model of collective impact. And I really love collective impact, and this is going to be very important for health and well-being. Um, and that is the idea that collective impact is the idea that multiple organizations come into a shared goal. And this is from the world of nonprofit, no surprise, um, uh, right? That nonprofits work in coalitions across multiple organizations for a shared goal. Even though we are one college, we are actually an institution that needs to operate um, within coalitions. You think of the, the connections between Student Government Association and it's many campus partners, um, whether that's other student organizations, um, the, the really the primary facilitating partner of the Division of Student Affairs, um, and then uh, other partners all across the college, including alumni affairs and so forth. That's a set of coalitions that are built towards a common goal. Again, we will want to be thinking about the set of coalitions that will benefit health and well-being at the college. So with those introductions um, having been presented, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome my guest this evening. We had promised you that um, the Vice President of Human Resources, Jana Grimes, would be here as well, and she has had to step away this evening, uh, but I look forward to further conversations with her. I do want to signal to you all that 
Um, the vice president of human resources being part of the health and well-being conversations is an institutional commitment um, to health and well-being. But um, until we can have that larger conversation, I'm so pleased to welcome Dean Terry Mason um, to this conversation. And Terry, very, very warm welcome from me to you and, of course, from all our listeners as well. Um, would you um, introduce yourself and your path to Grinnell College and what you bring, what kind of curiosity you bring to health and well-being, and then we'll get into our questions. Absolutely. Thank you, President Harris. Uh, it's, first of all, it's a pleasure to, to be here and uh, to have this opportunity to, to share uh, this time uh, and talk about this, I think, extremely important topic. And it's a topic as you know, and that it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. It's, it's mm. where I've spent my whole life. And so you're asking about my path here to, to Grinnell, just a, a, a real quick uh, path. I got my uh, PhD in counseling psychology at Texas Tech University and minor in business management. Um, and then I did my internship at Iowa State University at the counseling center there. Uh, only to, to go then to Texas A&M as a senior staff psychologist and became uh, associate director of training, went to back to Iowa State as the director of counseling. Um, I thought I'd be there for probably about five or six years. It turned into 23. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. So, you know how that goes, right? And so uh, I, but I retired from Iowa State to um, actually set up a consulting company uh, that worked with businesses that were struggling with their health and well-being um, and primarily working with uh, staff that were um, in conflictual situations and and trying to to help them you know work through some of that and and improve their job satisfaction productivity um, but but is uh, working well together with, with each other I did that for five years and I, uh, and I was uh, approached um, by a recruiter that said, <laughs> there is a position open at Grinnell College that you might be interested in. Right. And then I looked at this and it's like, oh my gosh, this is written for me. So, right. you know, for the Dean of Health and Wellness. Right. And so I, um, I went through the process and was um, uh, hired back, I started in uh, February 3rd of 2020. Um, and as our <laughs> listeners know, <laughs> that was right at the beginning time wow. of, of, of what's now the pandemic. And I remember, Anne, in my, my second week, we had a meeting. You and I attended mm -hmm. that. Um, and when we talked about there, there's a, 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 a virus that um, has been identified that um, is now in, at, in the state of Washington. Um, and we need to be prepared in case it comes to our community. And so yeah. um, I, some would say, oh my gosh, you had just, you know, an unfortunate set of circumstances to be the Dean of Health and Wellness and, uh, and, uh, during a pandemic. I look at it very differently. I saw this was an opportunity to be part of an amazing team here and, and make a difference. Oh, and you're so right to, to reinsert the pandemic in our consciousness of course we're in such an interesting um threshold of the pandemic now with vaccines being so readily available and and this kind of um momentum of community protection uh as we as more and more people become vaccinated and, and we can start to live differently again there there would be no less desired but in some ways no more useful experience than a pandemic to think about community health and well-being Right. Yes, and, and that's one of the dynamics that I'm really interested in is that's one of the um, awarenesses that we have now is our individual responsibility to community health. And Grinnell students have been amazing about this Incredible. throughout the pandemic. Um, we have we test all students every week who are all students who are on campus and in town every week. And we have had, um, I would say, remarkably low positivity counts. I mean, it's something like 16 since January or something like that. But, That's but correct. you know, but it's not. I mean, what's remarkable about it is the the will. What is um, hmm? What is to be expected is this is what it looks like 
if people really care about community health and have the resources to do so. And I understand that, that it's very different in different situations to have the resources, things like weekly testing and so forth. So I've just been humbled and moved over and over again to have seen our students. Um, and it's, it's right up till the end. We're about to end courses in a couple of weeks, but it's right up till the end with proposals um, for activities and so forth, really thinking about the impact and thinking about the impact of the college on this small town. I mean, so really that individual health and well-being and the communal part, I'm really glad that, that you brought that um, back up. So you'll see the hour goes really quickly um, as, as yeah, time flies when you're doing strategic planning. Um, and so I wanted to dive into some of our questions here. And um, dear listeners, just so you know, the, these questions come out of a series of essays that will be posted eventually. But um, each of these strategic principles for me is kind of broken up into five subcategories. Um, and in this instance, uh, health and well-being, it was belonging, workload and time, space and place, restorative practices and the thrive principles. And we will land on that and I'll go into that into some more detail. And the co-curriculum, right? The, 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 the places, all the things we do outside of the classroom, which is why we're here, is to be in that interactive learning space. So um, Dean Mason has really chosen three areas um, to focus on. One is this idea of belonging, and I called it belonging redux because belonging was a part of the community work workload and time, and restorative practices, and the Thrive Principles. And I want to register, I was really interested how at the faculty and staff town hall, um, so we do a town hall before we do a radio show, but at the faculty and staff town hall dedicated to um, health and well-being, workload and workload and time but workload specifically work and labor came up over and over and over again so i'm actually going to go a little bit kind of out of order um terry and ask you a, a question that interested you uh that emerges from this which is this what is an aspect of your work that if done differently would increase your well-being and i think we think a lot about our labor and where it goes and and you know, being at a small liberal arts college is an intense experience. Um, it looks like we're out here in a cornfield and not much is happening. We are a society in the making at all times. It is a fervent and intense place. And so there, people work incredibly hard at small liberal arts colleges, faculty, staff, students, people work hard everywhere. Of course, this is what we know. In the rural setting, we try to almost, we want to almost be all things to all, of each other, um, but I, I'm trying to underscore and kind of paint the picture of you know the intensity of, of the work here. Um, and people talk a lot about workload. That's what that's what was discussed um, in the town hall. Understandable at the end of a pandemic, but also I think it would happen almost any time. So what do you see, um, Terry? What do you see as those aspects, those those flex points um, of your work that, if done differently, would increase? your well-being and maybe from from your position and your expertise you could talk about um the institution's well-being as well absolutely so for me you know, personally and i and, and i'll just have to 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 say that um you know one of the things that is just amazing uh, about grinnell is, is the collegiality the working together as a team the communication um mm-hmm. is it, phenomenal yeah. Uh, however, it, there is a downside to that, and, and the downside for me personally is the ton of emails <laughs> that I get, yeah. and yeah. and that that it's it doesn't seem to you know uh, stop. So it goes. It seems like it's a twenty four seven. Is that um, right? Oh. Well, so so give uh, I'll give you an example yeah. that yeah. Uh, I I. I I think it's very important for for me personally to stay on top of communications, the emails, and so I I always aim to zero out my email uh, inbox Mm -hmm. by the end of the day and by the end of the week. However, at the end of Friday, I'm at zero. I come back on Monday and I've got 70 emails that people have used over the weekend. but but part of that, I understand you know the importance of the communication. But this is where I think going about how it affects me to maybe a, as a whole that I think it's going to be also important. How can we be more effective and efficient at our communications and the expectancy that goes along with that and how we do our jobs um, that also puts it in sort of a more reasonable pace, if you will. 
Um, and that, so for instance, um, I, I know a, a colleague of mine uh, that works at another college uh, said that, you know, um, uh, somebody sent her an email on the weekend and apologized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry that mm -hmm. that I, you know, sort of intruded upon your, your weekend. Um, and, but here, you know, it really seems like because people are, are very so eager to communicate and, mm -hmm. and share that they, they'll do that at 11 o'clock at night, at one o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so what that, in my mind, what where I kind of question that is, how are you taking care of yourself? How are you getting some time to get a break yeah. and get unplugged, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that that's probably one, one of the, the aspects that it's not only what something I share, but I, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues that share that as well. So that's something that's 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 eye opening to me and really, really interesting. And I'll say eye opening because, of course, I don't know everyone's email culture or experience. Right. But that would be something that I could think about us again. What the, this is the, the wonder of being a small living and learning community is you can be very intentional about these kind of um practices that we have so i think about it what is our email culture and thinking and talking openly whether it's in you know new student orientation or in our residence halls let alone our departments and divisions because i will tell you um so there's there's two things that influence me here one i grew up in switzerland and um i uh, spent a lot of time researching in france and france is oh my goodness adamant about work-life balance so adamant, so adamant that they have had laws passed prohibiting emailing after 5 p.m. Because email should be something that should be done within the workday. Now, of course, you know, people, I mean, I've heard the critiques too. Well, that, then you're just having commerce screech to a halt and, you know, capitalism is a 24-hour endeavor and so on and so forth. That's from the, the business world. But I tell you what, once a government puts a stake in the ground like that, and I don't know if that law held or if it's gotten changed or whatever, um, you know, it makes you sit up and say, wait a minute, there are boundaries that could be set. Then there's Germany, where my husband's done a lot of research, and the absolute closing time boundary. I mean, and when, it's, when they say that something closes at 5 p.m., that means they start cleaning up at 4.45 so they could lock the door at 5 p.m. And believe me, I have found out the hard way, um, you know, missing grocery stores and other things like that because they're adamant about it. So having those examples in my mind and just thinking, what are those limits? This is my second thing then. I love our email program in that it allows me to schedule emails to go out the next morning. Um, and now it tells you, it'll tell you the timestamp of when I wrote the email, if it's an internal email, which of course then I'm like, oh, I'm still revealing that I'm working, you know, late at night. But there's just something about this can wait till morning or this should be addressed during business hours exactly. that I think is really necessary. So you have pushed me to think about, you know, I try to model that. I do try to model that within, um, the, the senior staff colleagues that I work with, but how do we go you know further with that? And every once in a while I completely lapse and I'm like, okay, oh good, the weekend, we can finally get some work done. And that's not the right way to do it. You know, and I, I have to say Grinnell is, compared to other institutions that I've, that I've been in is pretty good about the weekend, but we could, we need that time. People need that time. And I, you know, I have a, I have a teenager at home and I don't know if she's listening or not, but, um, you know, who's, who is, um, really, really good about, she really wants to work on her sleep. Like sleep is, it's like a training, you know, uh, knowing that that's needed for concentration for everything else. And we know from some of our internal research that sleep is a big factor for our students, or rather I should say the lack of sleep. So I, I, you know, email is one of those. And also email to me is like water. Like we will, you know, we may be able to get something in place and then within probably six months, it'll flow back out and we'll just have to keep reiterating that. But I think that's very important. So email and pace. Um, then there's, you had another um, good question that you were looking at in terms of, um, yes, there we go, um, in terms of work. So this is the other side of that coin because of course we're all here because we believe in education in one way or another. Um, uh, we're here because we're learning, all of us, and there are those moments. You've had them, I've had them, I've celebrated when students and colleagues have had them, when it just 
feels so good. When the lab experiment, you know, came through, when the piece of music brought people to tears, when the words just came into place, when the student achieved wellness or health, you know, so my question to you is, um, what are those engagements in and out of the core elements of your work that provide respite and renewal? What are, what are aspects of your work that provide respite and renewal, but also outside of work. And that is really, to my mind, in some ways, also the work-life balance. Exactly. And so for, for me, in terms of from my work, you, you've hit upon some of the things for personally um, is meaningful for me. I, I want to make a difference. And and that's that's why I'm, mm. I'm doing what I'm mm. doing. And I, I want to, to you know, uh, feel like I, I've accomplished some things that for me, I've dedicated my whole life to helping others. And so that is kind of my internal gauge. Um, and so when I really feel like, you know, that I'm making progress and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm there and I can see, I like to say what I, I do as an administrator is trying to set up my staff for success. I want to set up our students for success. That's why we're there. And so when that happens, it's really interesting and because it feels like I don't mind how much work that is right. because I see the rewards, the results of, of that. That said, you, you hit on something that's very near and dear to my heart and that's the, the whole concept of balancing, you know, work and your your life, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the non-work part of your life and, and how important that is. And so for me, and to, to get that balance, and this is what goes outside of my work. I, I really feel like I've accomplished something that gives me a great deal of satisfaction uh, to volunteer, to help others. Um, and, and I'm very involved in my church. I'm very involved in, in my community. And for me, that is, that's a respite from work because it's something different than mm. what I do at work. Mm. Um, but it's also restorative. Mm -hmm. And and even though, you know, if somebody looked at it and said, but aren't you actually still doing work? Yeah, but it's a different kind. And, and it actually created a, a balance. But some of the other things for me that is important is I, I like to have fun. I like to do some activities that I look forward to that get my blood pumping, that, you know, mm -hmm. I talk to my friends and family about afterwards. So, you know, I'm a, a competitive bowler. And so I've um, actually that. competed. Yeah. <laughs> and I've competed in um, uh, 18 uh, national open championships. Um, and it's a, for me, that's a, it's a competitive, but it's a friendly competition that, right. that I really like. The other thing that I, I also like is I'm a poker player. So I love to play poker with, with, with a group of friends. Um, and we actually, we meet every two weeks to do this, but because of the pandemic and we hadn't met for 14 months until last week and wow. we, we got together. Wow. So that was, that was really, really wonderful. And then the other part is just having a relaxing conversation with, you know, colleagues over non-work related issues. Mm -hmm. For me, that's really important mm -hmm. because again, it, it, it works to provide a balance for me. And I believe in talking with in many people over my decades of being a psychologist, you know, what really is a balance uh, for folks and how they achieve that balance is different. Um, and so part of the thing that's yeah. important, I think is, is for all of us to kind of be aware of ourselves. And when almost if you can imagine sort of like, a, you know, a, a, your battery gauge, you know, and whether the battery is full or whether the battery has discharged, where are you at? Where's that needle at for you? And if you're doing some things that are, are really discharging the battery, you need to take a look at that and see, you know, do you really need to do that? And maybe take a look at those things that really actually serve to charge your battery. So that's what I use. That's kind of my internal gauge. And that's that flux, right, that we talk about with, with health and well-being. I mean, we can't, we can't sit here and say, we're going to do a strategic plan that will ensure that everyone will be happy all the time. And, and it's, you know, it's really interesting to me that in, in our discussion that there are some things to accept and there's some things not to accept. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're not going to accept inequities. And there are plenty of statements that say, well, the world's an unfair place. No, like we're not going to accept that one, right? 
But accepting and having some kind of resilience to the fact that happiness is not a constant state, um, I think is, is, is really interesting. Now, where the source of unhappiness comes from is really important because if it is inequity, if it is exclusion, you know, those things that we can, we can do something about, but it's just fascinating to me. Um, and that's why I appreciate your, your energy, um, kind of metaphor, I guess, you know, of what's draining your energy, what's charging your energy and how do you kind of, how do you develop the skills to be aware of that and what gives you energy? I mean, for me, being around people gives me energy. So I have been just, you know, st- starved. And I know people are like, oh, introvert, extrovert. I, yeah, no, I have to own the fact that I'm an extrovert. I really like being around people. I think they're wonderful and fascinating. And so the screen has been, you know, something that, um, I don't know, it, it's given me, I've had to find other ways to be energized, right, by it. Yes. So what I love about fun, first of all, I didn't know you were a bowler, let alone a poker player. And and when, when if you ever see uh, wonderful Dean Terry Mason, you'll know he has a very kind face, which now I wonder how you use that as a poker face. I wonder if that's something that's useful to you. In poker. I will never give away my trade secrets. <laughs> so, so that is, what's amazing to me about fun is that it, it, um, it adds layers to people, right? Like just finding that out about you, I think is just, there's delight in that, definitely. Um, the other thing, and, and so I think about that in our college setting, right? I think about, you know, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so. What department are you in? What's your major? What? And how do we, I do think that's the fervent core of the why we're here and, and eventually of the who we are. And then you build around that with each other, right? And we have many fervent cores probably, many aspects of our identity. But there, there's something wonderful about fun. You get to find out what brings joy to other people. And that in turn um, deepens, I think, relationships. The other thing I love about fun is that it's a, it's a really old uh, English word. And, um, and there is no such word, there's no word for fun in French, if you can believe that. There's like entertainment, there's entertainment, there's distraction, there's illusion, there's lots of things associated with fun. But fun is one of those like, you know, it's a good, solid word, and we know what it means. And in fact, in French, you talk about le fun. How cool is that? So um, it, it's made its way into, into the French language. So thank you so, so much for, for, these, um, for these wonderful, wonderful questions and, and answers that we want to talk about here. Um, sure. So we, we've kind of touched upon this, uh, you know, the, the place and the role of fun at the college, the... the um, the difference, and, and this one I, I want to get into a little bit before we get into the Thrive Principles. So the question is, what is the difference from your health and well-being inside the college and outside the college? And here I kind of want to get into the existential question of um, the responsibility for health and well-being and, and where that comes from. I, I want to say right up front, I think it's a shared responsibility yes. between the institution and the individual. Um, but you know, the way that our society is set up with benefits and and the benefits at Grinnell, I have found to be absolutely amazing in terms of financial coverage, in terms of access, um, some of the investments that we've made, but need to keep making in mental health, um, counseling and support. So, you know, certainly with students, but now we're really looking into more faculty and staff. Um, and that's probably, that's probably the biggest quote revolution evolution of the strategic principle of health and well-being is to broaden that conversation to include faculty and staff more often be it in our structures in our programs and and other things because i want to point out the one of the main offices that you um uh, facilitate with some great partners is of course shaw which is student health and wellness and right. so, you know, how we think about the, the faculty and staff health and wellness as well. But um, to, to get into that a little bit, to, to talk about, again, the, the question, um, to talk about the difference about your health and well-being at the college and outside the college, are there even boundaries? Are there places where, you know, you feel the college has some responsibility here and you know what? The college has no responsibility here. Is is that, is that a false dichotomy that I've set up there? Maybe we need to rethink it all, but. Well, no, I don't think, I don't think it is. And I thinking about in terms of, of, of being at work, I, I totally agree with you that 
it's it's shared it's it's a two-way street um you know we often talk mm -hmm. and i, I want to use this um example of you know the the, the pandemic and and, and you you kind of you talked about how successful grinnell college has been um and that's for you know many reasons and one reason was you know the leadership you and others that had provided in terms of of really looking at um, uh, what the the health experts had to say and what we should follow and and coming up with policies and, and what we should do that was a, a big part mm -hmm. so that was the institutional's responsibility wow. right point. to Great do that point. but but and you know that would not have worked if it wasn't for everybody that was in in our grinnell community doing their part and and following through so so an example is you know using ppe let's say mm -hmm. so that we had a policy on that you know and you know if you're outdoors you're wearing a mask and a shield you know for a while okay, um right. and and but what really impressed me is is how that was embraced by our students by our faculty by our staff because part of the thing that that we've heard from our public health experts when you're wearing a mask it's not necessarily protecting you from the coronavirus you're protecting others right. and so this was our responsibility as individuals to the whole and so i think it is that that you know sort of two-way street that that is so darn important so interesting and and when when one of those streets has a, a roadblock mm -hmm. then that's where we have some problems i think mm -hmm. and where we're not as effective and and in looking again at you know our success so far at mitigating the spread of COVID 19. Mm -hmm. you know it was the institution taking you know extremely responsible steps right from the very beginning Be, and I believe this is true that Grinnell College was the first college in Iowa or university to go to remote learning, yeah, right? Yeah. And we, we took some criticism on that. Yeah. But it was, but what was determined is that is going to be the best for the health and safety and welfare of our community. Yeah. So, so that's where I think that interplay and both sides are so important. That's really, really, really interesting to think about. Um, by the way, you're amazing with metaphors, right? The, the battery is really helpful, but I, I also think, cause you're making me think about roadblocks, right? So, so we, we, the pandemic taught us that we had a really good two way street. We had, it took, it took a lot of work and it took a lot of trying and trying again about clarity about, oh my goodness gracious. Like we were writing the script as we went. No, we didn't get it right every time. Absolutely not. But revise and resubmit, you know, <laughs> like we just kept doing exactly. it. And um, and then to have that incredible follow through from from faculty, staff, and students as well. So that's pushing me to think about what that two way street looks like post pandemic. What that two way street looks like when there is a roadblock. Like what are our roadblocks um, to health and well being? Because um, you know you've got this extreme example of of the country of France. You know making making late night emails illegal no way would i do that you know <laughs> no way now would you know do we model do we um try to encourage do we try to make the argument why sleep is such a good thing and i'm going to share a little personal anecdote which is that when i first came here in the fall of 2019 as the or summer of 2019 as the dean of the college um I I was I love to sing. That's one of the things I love to do. A solid alto, and um, and there's this marvelous group called the Oratorio Singers, led by John Rumrine, and it is oh my goodness, it's a source of unspeakable joy. But I remember feeling guilty going to rehearsals on Monday night, saying like, well, there's the dean, you know, shouldn't she be working? What is she doing, like singing? And I was told right away, don't you dare think like that. Like this is, it's not that it's part of the work. It's that it's part of what the work can look like in a whole person, right? Yes. And so it's not, I mean, there's lots of other things. I'm a mother, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a daughter, I love to cook, you know, I love European soccer. I mean, there's these other things, but, but there are those moments when we are, um, it's not just that we're more than our work. It's like we're, 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 we're able to show what 
gives us that respite and renewal within our work, you know, by doing these other things like singing, for example. So I, I may very well be back this fall, though now, I, but even then I'm seeing like, oh, should the president really be singing in the choir? And then I'm like, yes. <laughs> so and may I comment on that? Please, because please I think, do. I think yeah. what you said was really, really important. And there's an important aspect that, that I hope that we don't miss. Because it was interesting listening. Now, this is a psychologist, right? Oh, listening to you and, oh, and you're saying, gee, you know, how am, how are others going to perceive me? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, well, shouldn't the dean or now the president be working? And I, I would say this, and, and I hear this from our students. Back in 2008, I was actually commissioned to come in to Grinnell to to um, do an analysis of our mental health services. That's right. And I, and I talked to over 80 faculty, staff, and students about it. And this is what I heard from the students. The students said, you know, here we, we are talking about how, you know, that we should manage our stress better, manage our, you know, the, the pressure better. But I we look at faculty and they're more stressed out than we are. Mm-hmm. So here's the point that we you, me, we all serve as role models for our students as well. And so if we are, are truly yeah. talking about how important health and wellness is, we need to show that we are engaging in those practices as well. Yeah. So by you kind of going and singing and, and really showing that there is a balance, it sends a strong message and it's a great model to our students that you don't have to just work all the time. In fact, it may be very unhealthy. Right, right. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. And and yeah, yes, I think it's very revealing how we talk about our work. You're absolutely, or how we talk about our our fun and our work and our and our balance in between. I would I would even and thank you by the way for that incredible research. I think that's very telling because one of the things I think about in a small rural liberal arts college too is that you know we're very aware of each other. We're very aware of each other, and and I would say how hard we're working, um, but also. And then, and this is where okay, this is still the little rebellious part of me, you know, thinking about that Protestant work ethic and you know the 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 moral value of working hard and not doing anything but work. The um, doing something like singing or cooking or being with a friend is not the absence of work. To me, it's a deepening of your resourcefulness to the work. But boy, that is hard to say. I don't even really have the language for that, right? It's like, it's not like if I see a, if I see students having fun, I am never going to think, um, oh, they, they should be studying. I'm going to think, this is them recharging their battery, and I know that they're going to they're going to come into the classroom more vibrant, more elated because of that time. And I would say, you know, the same. And we're we're thinking a lot about our location and our connection to communities that can give energy like Iowa City, like Des Moines. And, you know, how do we get a transportation, like a transportation system? No, that's too big. But how do we get some kind of transportation so that people can can get that respite and renewal, um, you know, outside the town, inside the town, again, that kind of balance and dynamic. So I'm, I'm really, really glad you brought that up. I think that's, that's a fascinating way to think about, um, how we, we we appreciate each other in our in the fullness of what we're doing, understanding that if we're living those full lives, our actually our work lives will be richer and not because we just spent more time, you know, exactly. working. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, so you know, and this is what I mean. The see it with it's our 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 hour is almost over. So I absolutely don't want to not touch on the Thrive Principles, because these were brilliantly devised by a campus climate group um, that was created as part of the pandemic response. And um, it's something that emerged in the pandemic that, you know, I really want to carry forward. And I need to think about how I'm going to do that, because the Thrive Principles are really interesting, really fascinating. it's not enough to just say what about thrive and so forth. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read them for not I'm gonna read the titles um, for our listeners and then um, Terry I would appreciate your thinking about how we carry thrive principles over that threshold back into our um, re-entry into our community um, and and thrive principles they all stand for something each of the of the letters of the word thrive so T is talk to improve transparency. 
maybe fewer emails, more talking. Um, H is health and safety must remain a top priority for our entire campus community. Well, oh my gosh, look at that. That's a, <laughs> I haven't read these in a while, but that, I'm just thinking, what does that mean post-pandemically? That's powerful to think about. R is reimagine, reconsider what is possible and necessary. I is inclusion requires flexibility. V is value all experiences of vulnerability and empathy requires all of us and especially leaders to be aware, sensitive and responsive. So talking, health, reimagination, inclusion, vulnerability and empathy. And I have to say I have I, this is this is I, I reproach myself. I haven't read those in a while. But they seem that much more powerful to me as I think about those being our community guidelines for health and well-being after the pandemic. What are your thoughts there? Absolutely. I, even this was, as you said, this was developed w within this pandemic as a way to respond to it. But I think even that this has carried us, you know, through this pandemic, and it's been a big part of what has been a rallying you know, cry for our community and help, has helped us be as successful as we've been in in, um, in dealing with this pandemic. But, and I would contend that these Thrive principles are even more important yeah. post-pandemic right. or, you know, whenever that's going to be, but maybe as we recover from right. the, the, the pandemic, right. because as mm -hmm. you went down this mm -hmm. list, I was thinking, absolutely, this is how we as a community will work, continue to work together. What drove us to be successful was our community that's that bought into this we were it was like we're all working together yeah. for this yeah. and this is what the thrive principles are about you know to to be transparent to talk to each other to communicate um the health and safety let's continue to listen to our public health experts you know and what they they say that we need to do so that we don't just become complacent and slip back into, unfortunately, like we've seen some other countries do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Reimagine and what and consider what is possible and necessary. I, I would contend that you know it's hard to say that. Gosh, there is some silver linings to a pandemic, but I think one of the things is that it actually has given us a chance to take pause and to really take a step back and take a look at how we do things here and, and what's working what's not working what do we need to do to to thrive in the yeah. future yeah. And, and so we have that opportunity we're doing it now as, as you know as a community but we need to carry that forward the inclusion in a part you know the flexibility that is so so important because it's really easy to see the disparities, you know, in mm -hmm. like a, some of our unrepresented, you know, populations mm -hmm. um, that that through this pandemic, we need to really look at, okay, wait a minute, what needs to, to happen here so that we are truly are all together, but on, on a more equitable platform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the valuing all experiences of vulnerability. Listen, if, if, if the pandemic hasn't taught us anything, it's that we're vulnerable. Yeah. You know, and we're and so the vulnerability we we don't leave our vulnerable behind. You know, what we do is we work together to to help. You know, the resilience you know, of of each individual in the community, so that we can can really go forward more successfully. The empathy. This part is so important. I mean, as a psychologist, I would be a lousy psychologist if I didn't have empathy. We would be we mm. would be not as 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 effective as a community if we weren't empathetic and caring for each other. It's not about us. It's about our community. So these thrive principles wow. for me. This, this is this is a, a map. This is a blueprint yes. on how yes. we can go forward and be successful. There's another metaphor. <laughs> it's really useful. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. My middle name is metaphor. I don't know why my mom called me metaphor, but it, it seems to fit. But. It's there. I'm telling you. Well, so um, I, I had the pleasure of having um, Ashton Aveling on the radio show mm, two or three weeks ago. It was about educational um, excellence and continuity. He is the vice president for academic affairs of the Student Government Association, and he's got this concept. And I love defining concepts. I love the human imaginations ability to come up with language for human experience. 
um, whether it's desired or actual, but he's got a concept of academic compassion. And I, I just can't wait to un, to unpack that and, and try to define that for ourselves. What does that mean? I think it's I think it's connected to those thrive principles, um, whether it is about transparency or about inclusion and flexibility and certainly about vulnerability. Students over and over again um, have said, you know, we, uh, there were several wonderful conversations that happened this spring, but realizing that their faculty members, their that their professors were also juggling family and home and cats in front of the screen and all those other things, um, brought empathy, you know, kind of a mutual empathy to the fact that everyone was was really working hard. Now, there is that sense of, you know, well, can can somebody do something to make the work less onerous, you know, less anxious? And we have to get there. We have to identify those roadblocks to that two-way street. Yes. I, that's a huge takeaway for me um, from our conversation this evening. That you know, again, as we enter the work uh, in the fall of strategic planning of health and well-being, it's got to be way more than email, right? It's got to be way more than don't send emails after 8 p.m. or something like that, um, uh, because we really need to to identify are there structures that we have in place, or are there structures that we can put in place? Like I do think about. Um, you know, gatherings that bring that kind of gladness um, or, or just respite or fun, that word we, we like to use, or the going to these other cities that are on the I-80 corridor um, to, re- to remind ourselves that we're citizens of a, of a diverse and beautiful world, you know, and, and, and really securing those moments. I will tell you, one of the emphases that I have in, in the work that's ahead is on the student residential experience. Um, uh, and I feel comfortable talking about that. Uh, the, the faculty and staff residential experience, that may connect to the whole, you know, connecting to other cities, but thinking about that downtown student residence that we're working on, thinking about a kind of winter garden in that space, um, being aware of the seasons, you know, things like that. And it can't be, it's not, it's not easy. There, there is no, like, if we just had yoga, you know, um, I think we need yoga and, you know, and and also one of the things I want to explore is this idea of serious fun, because sometimes, um, you know, fun as a distraction is one thing, fun as as let's, you've heard this, right, kind of the, the fun parts of learning, um, really kind of getting into it, or, you know, I don't know, in art history, it was like, dress up as your favorite painting. Well, that's something that I would kind of call serious fun because you're you're still learning, but you're also claiming, uh, you know, some aspects of fun. There's a great book out there called Homo Ludens, which is the the playing, you know, the the fact that humans play, right? That's pretty cool that we do that. It must be, I think, an, I mean, we know animals play as well, but there's a lot to learn there. So, dear Terry Mason, dear Dean Mason, um, any final words that you would have for us about? I, I'm, I'm, I've been so grateful to hear of your learn from your expertise, hear of your experience. Um, but any any final kind of thoughts that you'd want to leave our listenership with? It, it's, it actually is just a, a, a personal expression of gratitude. Um, mm. That you know, I, I've 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 been around for uh, a long while in higher education. <laughs> I won't say how long, uh, but we're we're counting decades. Um, wow. And I've wow. been at so many different institutions, and and I, I tell you, from the from this is from my heart that I've never been in a place that it has been so supportive, so wonderful, so intriguing, so inspiring as Grinnell College. Mm. Um, I, I really, I feel blessed that I have had this opportunity to, to be here. Um, I, I Back to what you were saying in terms of what's the institution, what's the individual responsibility. I have received so much from this institution. I hope I can, can you know, be able to give as much and maybe even more than I've re- received. Yeah. But I look forward to us all being together again yes. in the fall and cannot wait. Yes. And one of the things I'll tell your listeners, if, if there's students out there or faculty staff, one of the things that I was hoping to do before we went remote, that I want to get out and I want to be a visible dean. I really want mm. to talk with everyone. So I'm, I'm going to set up some time that I'm going to say, uh, meet the dean. And I'll be at like, you know, the Spencer Grill or other places on campus and it'll be publicized. And I really encourage people to come out and spend some time with me. You know, let's interact. Let's share. Let's work together 
to, to continue to make Grinnell a very special place. Oh, that's beautifully put. And, and I have that same desire. So we'll probably see each other over at, you know, either the Global Cafe, that's going to be the new cafe in the um, Humanities oh, yes. and Social Science Center, um, or any of the other places that we that we can gather. So I will leave you then with a quote that was, um, that was, it was a faculty member who said this to me when I was coming on as dean. Um, and she said, Anne, you'll have a lot of challenges here. People not caring is not one of them. And I think exactly. that's the that's the power of this wonderful community. I think it's also the intensity of this wonderful community. And I'm honored, Terry, to to serve this institution with you um, and its wonderful, wonderful constituents and caretakers, all of us here in Grinnell. So with that, I am left with bidding you a very lovely evening and plenty of rest. And I'll see you Thank next time. Thank you so much, <laughs> Anne, for the invite. I've this has been a highlight of my year. <laughs> wonderful, really wonderful. All right, take good care and goodbye. Bye-bye. Until next week, bye-bye.